Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Greetings and welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast. I am your host, as always, Matthew Miranda, and there's a slight lift to my voice if i sound a little bit unusually happy it is because i just started this podcast about five minutes ago and just now happened to realize glancing at the microphone that the microphone was muted so if i had not looked at the mic when i did i would have done an hour long episode ish or whatever the length may be and the whole thing would have been shot because the volume would have been muted i'm gonna be honest with you people it's happened before um, it even happened sadly once on this podcast, we had, uh, the great Mark Schindler on a couple of months ago and had a great hour long conversation with, as always, you can talk to Mark about anything in the NBA and he already has read like eight articles about it. Wonderful, wonderful conversation with Mark. And after about 45 minutes into the hour, I look and notice that, um, I had not hit the record button and we had just been riffing for an hour. It was still a good conversation. I think in the terms of the universal scales, like it made the it made the cosmos a better place, but it did not record. So thankfully, this episode is recording. Um, and we're going to look a little bit short-term future with the Knicks at the games they have coming up um, now that they're back home after the West Coast trip. And we will also look a little bit farther into the future at the seemingly inevitable um playoff matchup and then lastly but not leastly a little bit about mitchell robinson um before we begin let me read to you from the book of believe and bet online bet online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season there's not a lot of season left so get it while you can Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at BetOnline. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends there. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through the Final Four, and the NCAA championship game. Um, Obviously, in both the men's and women's game, the conference championships are done. So despite what the copy is telling you, do not look for updated odds on the those games are done, but they can still help you with the rest of the tournaments, the men's and the women's. And if you're a real sicko and the NIT does it for you, I'm sure they can help you there too. Uh, BetOnline is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline, whoa, BetOnline. That's better. .ag, where the game starts. So the pod is going to start looking forward today um, to the home games coming up against Denver and Minnesota, which will end, I think, a six-game stretch of games against the West for the Knicks. Um, Obviously, just on the road trip, finished 2-2, and um, lost a tough game in Sacramento, which is a tough place to play any time, but especially this year. 
tough game with the loss to the Clippers. They were right in it until the fourth, and then just there was separation. Um, very gutsy win over the Lakers. I think a game that they had to have. Um, it, a really important game for them in the context of the season. If they lose that game, it's four straight. Uh, Brooklyn had started winning some games in a row. Like you just didn't want, and Brunson out. You don't want to go in that direction. Instead, they beat the Lakers. Then they hold on the next night. Um, hold on is not even the way of putting it. They look great um, in an impressive win against Portland. And now, oh, it's a 500 road trip. You know, Brunson's going to be back now, I'm guessing. If not the Denver game, the Minnesota game. But I'm, I'm guessing with him having had a, basically a full week of rest, he'll be back against the Nuggets. Um it was a great way for the Knicks to close out the road trip and just kind of, again, establish themselves in a in a conference, in a league where there's been a lot of up and down all season long. Um, the Knicks have been pretty consistent for a while. Consistently solid, consistently good, um, and they tend to win when they really, really have to. And I thought that Laker game was a good example of that. Um, looking forward now... They have Denver Saturday, and then Minnesota will come in after that. Um, exciting to have Denver come into town. Obviously, the the obvious storyline, but for good reason. This is Nikola Jokic. I was on another pod um, a couple we- couple weeks ago, the True Players pod, with my man Dominic Duthel. And he was saying none of the centers in today's game would hang with the big guys back in the day. When you're talking Shaq and Ewing and... Olajuwon and David Robinson, that there's no centers in today's game. Maybe Embiid, I think he allowed, but that was it. I don't think that's fair to Nikola Jokic. Um, I think Jokic really tests our our perceived limits as fans and as aficionados of the game because he doesn't check a lot of the boxes that we used to uh, that we're used to associating with dominance. He's nothing about his his physique or his athleticism jumps off the page at you at all. And Nikola Jokic is in really good shape now. Um, he lost a lot of weight a few years ago. I think that works against him. He has never, ever been a player that you watch and you're mesmerized by some tangible that you just, you know, when LeBron goes up on the break, even if you were six foot eight, you just probably don't have hops like that. And the speed, and the, just the everything. Um, when you watch Jalen Brunson, I think there's a little more appreciation of like, okay, that's a short dude. Like he's not, he's not great because he's improbably tall. He's like six one. He's everyday tall. Um, but you can appreciate watching him. Like there's so much skill in what he does. Um, the acceleration, the deceleration, the twists and the turns, and the handle, and the touch and the spins, like, it's all things that we can kind of identify with, and I think Jokic is closer to that, only much, much more so. Um, but, but, I, I, but I also think that's a little unfair to him. Um, the thing that strikes me the most when I watch Jokic play is not the passing, which is obviously top level, um, not for just a big, like, for anybody. He's He's one of the greatest passers, like, I've ever seen. But the thing that's always struck me the most about Jokic is his touch. Like he's an unbelievable shooter, and unlike a lot of players, I don't know if it's the nature of his form, 
or if it's just the way he approaches shooting in general. But even a lot of the best NBA players, their success seems to come from um, repetition of a certain form. You see this a lot in baseball. Like most baseball players, especially at the professional level, they have a batting stance, they stick to it. Like there's some tweaks, but if you watch Mike Piazza hit, in 1995 and you watch Mike Piazza hit in 2005, the batting stance is going to be basically the same. Albert Pujols, his whole career, batting stance is basically the same. There are certain players, uh, and I always was attracted to these kinds of dudes. Kyle Ripken was one. Bobby Bonilla was another. There are certain players who don't stick to a steady batting stance. They're always experimenting. They're always modifying. Like Their only constancy is change. Um, and I always loved that as a fan. Pitchers were like that too. Pitchers like David Cohn, later Pedro Martinez, who, when they were young, had the gas to just throw it by everybody. But as they got older, they figured out like how to mix things in more, how to work with, you know, confusion and sleight of, you know, I guess baseball version of sleight of hand. Um, Jokic is a shooter who, unlike a lot of great shooters, and he is a great great shooter um he doesn't have to repeat the same form and in fact you'll see in a lot of situations shot clock winding down um you know Jokic is 20 25 feet from the basket he has to throw up something he generally seems to make it he has this ability to just craft a uh whatever whatever angle or slot his body needs to get into to be comfortable taking a shot. He seems to be able to find it like no matter where he is on the floor, no matter how much time is left on the shot clock, no matter is the ball at his feet, is it at his hip? Is he holding it up high? Did someone just swing it to him? It's an incredible skill. You don't even think about it with Jokic, but the more I watch him, the more I'm struck by the man just has an unbelievable touch on top of everything else. So very excited to see Jokic come into town. Obviously, uh, you know, there will be Michael Porter Jr., who is still not Kevin Knox, um, but who has become an interesting career to kind of follow from a distance. Um, Jamal Murray, well, I'm always struck by because the year of the bubble playoffs, when Jamal Murray started to blow up in one of the early games against actually Utah, Donovan Mitchell, um, I remember asking on Twitter, and most of my followers are obviously Knicks fans, so I expected a bit of a slanted response, but I asked if Jamal Murray was better or John Starks. And I thought it would be pretty close. And Starks won like comfortably about a week or two later. Murray had had like now just a bunch of 40, 50 point games. I put the exact same question out and it was now like overwhelmingly Murray, which just always struck me as like, you really can have like one great week. He was probably already a better superior player than Starks, but one dominant week of, of postseason play and the exact same uh, demographic had completely turned their opinion on where he ranked. So uh, Denver, you know, real, real big challenge for the Knicks. This is a legit, this team has been above the West now for weeks, if not months. This is an elite offense. Um, this is a big test for the Knicks. And Denver had been struggling, kind of scuffling for a bit. I think it might have peaked for them at halftime. They had given up like 64 to Detroit in their last game. 
they came out and they laid it down in the second half and they won that game. And I think the Knicks are going to see uh, a pretty charged up Nuggets team Saturday. So that will be exciting. As for the Timberwolves, I'm excited to see Anthony Edwards. And that is literally it. I am not excited to see Rudy Gobert. Mike Conley seems like a very nice person. I'm not interested in, in seeing his game. I am not interested in really anything that Minnesota has to bring. They're they're a decent team. I'm a little down on Minnesota. I thought last year they finished on a nice kind of long run. They were a really up-and-coming team for a, a few months and young and exciting and now no um just no 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 no. but anthony edwards is awesome so that'll be cool and um so that's it for the upcoming games i wanted to focus a little bit more today um on the cleveland cavaliers uh it's important to know your opponent in life and it seems pretty inevitable that the knicks are going to end up playing the cavaliers um the reason for this is the Knicks only have 11 games left in the season. They're currently fifth. They're two and a half games behind the Cavaliers, two in the loss column. Um, the only team really behind the Knicks that could catch them is Brooklyn. Uh, Miami right now, the magic number for the Knicks to finish ahead of Miami is nine. And the Knicks and the Heat combined have 22 results left. So the Knicks just need nine of 22 outcomes to go their way at least and they'll finish ahead of the heat they still play two games with them head to head so the knicks could very much play a big part in taking care of that themselves but uh, the heat have won a couple in a row i don't ever want to discount them um at all it does seem tough that they're going to make up three games over the last 11 but so the only other team that is Brooklyn. Brooklyn's a game behind the Knicks in the loss column. Um, has also finally fallen behind them in conference record, which is a tiebreaker um, that might come into play because I think they were even head-to-head and their division record is about the same. So the next tiebreaker would be conference record. So still a shot for Brooklyn. Magic number to finish ahead of them, I believe, is 10. Um, it seems as if there's a good chance the Knicks will finish fifth um, or fourth Cleveland's not going anywhere. They're not going to catch anyone ahead of them. And I don't see them dropping, you know, a couple of spots. So it seems pretty safe to say the Knicks will play the Cleveland Cavaliers. Who are the Cleveland Cavaliers? What do you need to know about this team? Well, everybody and their mother is going to be covering this in about three weeks when the playoffs start. So I'm just going to give you a entry-level sketch like of what the Cleveland Cavaliers do, what they do well. Um, how it might specifically interest you as a Nick fan, some of what they do, um, and then some areas of concern that the Cavaliers may have as well. So your Cleveland Cavaliers currently are a really well-balanced team. Um, they're eighth in offensive rating. They're number two in defense. I think they're a bit like the Knicks in the sense that um, I'm not sure that their offensive rating translates to the playoffs the way that some other teams would translate like Denver, for example, is um, let's take a real fast look. So Denver comes in to Madison square garden tomorrow 
And Denver is hmm, that's the second in the league. Denver is second in the league in offensive rating. You believe that. And you believe that when Denver gets to the playoffs, like that's going to continue because the things that sustain their offense are pretty repeatable. Like you need to keep throwing Jokic out there. He he'll be there. He'll be brilliant. You need Michael Porter to remain a great shooter. You need Jamal Murray to remain um, an elite on-ball creator off of Jokic. You need Aaron Gordon to play kind of a – and they all do – they all play those roles. So you assume they could run into a a specifically difficult matchup, but it seems like an offense that is elite. The Knicks are ranked very highly in offensive rating. I think the Knicks are currently – God, last I saw, they were like fifth, fifth to seventh. But I don't think of the Knicks when they get to the playoffs as an offense that's just going to run people down. We'll actually we'll talk about that a bit, um, specifically with the Cavaliers maybe being able to stop some of what the Knicks do. Cleveland is eighth in offensive rating, but it's not because they're like, oh my God, you know, they're the seventy three Knicks and they just have five, you know, beautiful geniuses out there working at greater than the sum of their parts. No, um, they got a couple of things that are really good, um, but I don't think that eight translates to the playoffs. I think the defensive rating does. I think Cleveland is a legit top flight defensive team and will present the Knicks with some specific problems. Um, if you look at adjusted ratings, the Cavaliers have the largest average margin of victory in the league, depending on whether you use adjusted or unadjusted. I don't know what the difference is. Cleveland and the Celtics are one and two in net rating. So this has been over the course of 71 games, one of the league's few consistently good teams all year, like good to very good teams all year. And a lot of that, as we said, is their defense. Um, The Cavaliers rank first or second in field goals allowed and field goals attempted. Um, they don't let you get a lot of chances, and when you get them, you tend not to make them. Now, there are little caveats in there. Cleveland gives up very few three-pointers. Like, they clearly make it a point to not give up three-pointers. When they give up threes, they give them up pretty bad. Like, Opponents are shooting this year 30, I think it's 38%, double-checking right now. Uh, Yes, opponents are shooting, sorry, 37% on threes. The Cavaliers, are they give up the fewest three-point attempts. They give up the second-fewest makes, but they're 24th in three-point percentage against. And their opponents actually shoot a higher percentage than even they do. Um, So, a little interesting thing there. They are great defensively at almost everything. They're number one in fewest three-point attempts. They're number two in three-point makes against. They're number five in two-point makes against. They're number four in two-point percentage against. They're sixth in free throws allowed. Um, They control a lot of things really well. But one little huh is they're not amazing at, def- at stopping people from making threes when they can get the shots off. Um, if you look at the individual, um, some of the individual Cavalier skill sets across the board um, on defense, I just had this open on 
cleaning the glass. Sorry, here we go. Um, just on defense, the number of players, you know, who are elite positionally for their defense. Isaac Okoro is in the 89th percentile for blocks. You think of blocks, you think of Jared Allen, you think of Evan Mobley, and those guys are they're legit. Like they're right up there doing it. But also Okoro is an elite defender at his position. Dean Wade, who we'll talk about probably more than you expected in a little bit. Uh, Dean Wade also, 83rd percentile in block percentage. Rubio, Ricky Rubio, with all the struggles he's had this year, 94th percentile in steals. Dean Wade is 77. Donovan Mitchell is 78. Okoro is 73. Um, You know, you go down the roster, Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley is already an incredible defensive big man. Um, And his his impact could be magnified across the scale of a seven-game series. Um, So just defensive versatility and excellence up and down the roster. An interesting point where the Cavs and the Knicks specifically um, might make for an interesting collision come playoff time. Like the Knicks, Cleveland is an absolutely elite rebounding team. The Cavaliers currently rank... Wow. Um, Their opponents are have the fourth fewest offensive rebounds and the third fewest defensive rebounds and the second few, (coughs) sorry, the second fewest overall rebounds in the league. So Cleveland meets teams and Cleveland seems to find a way to put the kibosh on their rebounding numbers. This is significant because the Knicks, of course, are an elite defensive team. I mean, an elite rebounding team also on both ends and they're, Offensive rating is in large part infused by what they get from second chance points. So the collision between Cleveland's rebounding and the Knicks rebounding, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, foul trouble. That will be really interesting to see um, who's able to win that battle because both of these teams really depend on being the last team standing rebounding, the last team standing rebounding-wise to excel. Um, also of particular interest for the Knicks from the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers force a ton of turnovers, and they rarely turn the ball over themselves. Cleveland is... Um, they are fifth in... They Sorry, I always have problems reading turnover numbers because... Are you talking about yours or theirs? The Cavaliers force the fifth most turnovers in the league. They commit the seventh fewest. So this is an interesting inclusion, and we saw this a couple years ago when the Knicks played Atlanta. What you do over 82 games against 29 different opponents has a limited application in terms of what you can predict all of that data is going to tell you about how you do in a playoff matchup against one team over four to seven games. Nobody knew two years ago how how Atlanta would defend Julius Randle. Um, nobody. And the regular season gave you no hint of it. Randle had been absolutely brilliant the whole 21 season against the Atlanta Hawks. And then the playoffs came and different stories. So 
Knicks Cavs would be a very interesting collision um, in terms of rebounding, in terms of turnovers, especially. Cleveland also has another similarity to the Knicks if we take it to the uh, the other end of things, which is they're basically led by two pretty elite, uh, efficient scorers who can create for themselves and for others um, in Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Their other great players are not really offensively great. Um, Jared Allen obviously does certain things very well. He does big man things well. He's not a guy who's going to score 20 points against you. Evan Mobley's not a guy who's going to score. Well, he's still young, but at this point, Mobley hasn't shown that he has that two-way dominance yet in his skill set. And they don't have... They play at a very slow pace. They play at the slowest pace in the league. Um, The interesting thing with the Cavaliers is that after you get past Mitchell and um, Garland, you know, the offense is... Who are you afraid of as the opponent? You've got Darius Garland, all-star, point guard averaging 22 points a game, shoots it well from everywhere. Um, You've got Donovan Mitchell averaging almost 28 a game. As shown in the past, obviously, what he can do in the playoffs. After those two, am I worried about what Evan Mobley is going to do to Julius Randle? Which could be... Infamous last words, but right now, no. Right now, I think Evan Mobley will have his hands full guarding Julius Randle. And I don't think he's going to... I don't see what he's going to do on the other end that I'm worried about. Jared Allen, I think, is going to do standard big man stuff. And I don't think he's a standard big. He's an all-star. I think he's a. he's been a great player since he was in Brooklyn. The, the Ja-Mitchell-Robinson debate it goes back many years. I'm very curious to see how they play against each other head-to-head in a series. I'm not worried that Jared Allen is going to be giving the Cavs 18 to 20 a game. Isaac Okoro, he has shot better in recent months um, from deep. He's still not, you know, a threat. He's not someone you go and worried about. Kyrus Levert. The Levert-Okoro spot is an interesting little... Um, kind of tension, tension spot for the Cavaliers. Um, they seem to almost have a perfect starting lineup. But whatever is missing in that fifth spot, like you've got you've got the center who defends and rebounds and is a rim runner, a rim runner and a presence in the paint on both ends. You've got the elite defensive uh, versatile young up-and-comer in Mobley. You've got the all-NBA caliber uh, backcourt man in Mitchell, and you've got the all-star point guard in Garland. So the only thing, and I feel like the Knicks are kind of similar. The Knicks have, you know, a center who rebounds and impacts the paint on both ends, a brilliant rim runner, vertical, uh, you know, threat in Mitchell Robinson. They've got their elite um offensive power forward really jumbo wing in Julius Randle like he's basically their Mitchell he's their wing who runs a lot of the offense Brunson parallels to Garland um 
Quentin Grimes is a lesser version, I think, of their Mobley, where he's extremely significant defensively and can also be helpful on defense. I think Mobley's vastly superior defensively. I think Grimes, um, I think Grimes can be a real postseason shower, someone who really catches a lot of eyeballs with what he does. But then there's that fifth spot, and for the Cavs, it's Levert and Okoro, and for the Knicks, it's R.J. Barrett and Josh Hart. You have two players, one of whom is clearly superior offensively. Levert is light years ahead of Okoro. Other than three-point shooting, um, Levert's not really that efficient, though. Like, anybody would say, yeah, Karis Levert is a better scorer than Isaac Okoro. Strictly looking at numbers, Levert has been kind of below average in efficiency everywhere other than three-point shooting. Um, If Cleveland just had a guy there, but they don't, which I think makes them a little bit variable. The Knicks are the same way. R.J. Barrett is a better scorer than Josh Hart. No question about that. Um, But everything Josh Hart seems to bring, the Knicks lack. Like, what R.J. brings the best, there's already two other guys who bring it and bring it better than R.J. does. So what is R.J. after scoring? And this is not to turn on an R.J. thing. It's just to point out, like, this similarity that raises the team's ceiling and also lowers their floor. When Barrett plays the way that he did uh, at the end of the road trip, I think it was the Laker game, or maybe it was Portland. I can't remember both of them. There was a game where Barrett... I know in the Laker game, Barrett had a really good second half. I'm tr- I think he did also against Portland, now that I'm remembering it. Um, but when Barrett plays well, plays his overall, you know, up and down, he's physical, he's getting to the line, he's balancing, attacking the rim, and good shots from outside off of usually someone else's creation, and he's defensively engaged, he's closing out on people. When it's good RJ, the Knicks have a pretty high ceiling um, because good RJ is a high level wing, not all NBA at this point, not an all-star, but a high level wing. But he's not always there. And what Josh Hart brings all the time with Josh Hart, you know, the scoring is, it may not be there, you know, He's been really efficient with the Knicks, but you can see just in Josh Hart's approach how this and his shot, like this could be a dude who who doesn't, you know, who has some cold stretches. But everything else he brings is constant defense, energy, hustle, um, the way he pushes. You cannot underestimate the impact just that Hart has had on the Knicks' pace, and transition, and it won't all show up even in fast break points. But when Hart decides, like, I'm putting my head down and I'm getting to the basket, he gets there and he makes things happen. And it's interesting to see, like, Hart or Barrett, like, who actually gives the Knicks their better upside. I think the Cavaliers have the same question. Karis LeVert's best skill is scoring. The Cavs already have a few other people who are better that, at that than he is. Now, they both happen to be guards um so maybe if you're the, if you're Cleveland you like the idea 
of a wing who can bring you some of that threat also. But I don't think what Cleveland ultimately needs from their fifth starter is a scorer. It seems to me like if a Coro could become just a credible, like, league average threat, but now you have that stopper. He's a, such a great defensive player, and now you've got a stopper at that position. You've got a guy who's going to, like, really hustle and work, and he's not going to ask for the ball, but he'll make some things happen off of it or he'll hit some open. Like, that's what they need. So it's another interesting parallel to the Knicks. You have this really almost perfect lineup, and then you have this question mark that really, really fluctuates. Um, The Cavaliers have a couple of very specific issues going on that who knows what will happen over the last 11 games, but I think the Knicks would probably go into this series feeling like they have an advantage at the bench, and there are some things going on with the Cavalier bench players that do not bode well for them. Um, Dean Wade has had quite a downturn um, in recent months, especially his growing reluctance to even take shots, especially to take shots that are not threes. So Dean Wade has not made a basket right now since February. Um, in, the month of, in the month of March, he has taken nine shots. They have all been three-pointers. They have all missed. Um, another bench player for the Cavs, Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio has really slipped up this season. Um, across <coughs> across the board, his shooting numbers are all down, which was never a strength of his. But now his shooting numbers are quite down. Um, his overall production is diminished. Now, it's probably not stunning that this has happened. Ricky Rubio is in his 30s now. I, th- I think he's one of those kind of ageless players um, who just seems to have been around forever and doesn't look that older. But let me just get his age now. Ricky Rubio. Yeah, Ricky Rubio is 32. He came off whatever the injury he had last year that was like devastating. That knocked out his whole season. It was like a serious injury. He comes back from that. He doesn't clearly seem to be the same player. That hurts them. He was an important part um, of what they were doing. He was a really key contributor. Ricky Rubio is a nice player. He's a very good defensive player. Um, obviously, brilliant passer, orchestrator, lead ball handler. Like Checks a lot of boxes for teams. Um, unfortunately, though, he has not been that guy at all this year. So... You have the Wade struggles. You have the Rubio struggles. Kevin Love is now in Miami. Uh, Levert or Okoro, whichever one ends up coming off the bench, um, there's question marks. And that's a bench that, in the, on the best of days, has question marks against the Nick bench. So just a little introduction for you into the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, their regular season, highly regarded on offense. I don't know how that will translate. To the playoffs, they are the real deal on defense. There are a number of parallels between them and the Knicks. I think it'll make for some really interesting storylines in the series. Um, but I have absolutely no idea what to guess. That Nick Hawk series two years ago threw me off so much in terms of everything you had seen and thought going in and then how it actually turned out that I am going in with my head completely blank like, I don't have any expectations. 
but expect that it'll probably be Cleveland. Unless something freakish happens in the standings, the Knicks are going to play the Cavs. Um, last story of the day is just one that interests me because it seems to pop up like once a year. And I don't know, man. People seem to respond to it. I don't think there's anything really here. But uh, there was a bit of a story this week in uh, the Nick universe because Mitchell Robinson made some comments. Um, sorry. Uh, sorry. I'm antiquated. It was not Instagram. It was Snapchat. Um, so Mitchell Robinson on Snapchat after the Portland win, um, he wrote this. He said, quote, I never know if I should read the the acronyms as acronyms, or do you translate them? I'll translate them. Quote, tired as fuck of just being out there for cardio, fam. Like I want to play basketball to really just wasting my time and energy. Then there's a smacking his head emoji, and then, quote, disappearing for a while. Then he popped up on Twitter to say, quote, life's a climb, but the view's great. Uh, hands making a heart emoji. Good night. This follows from times in the past. Last year, there was a point where Mitch also wrote on social media, one thing learned after every game, literally running for cardio and playing health defense. Let's get it, LOL. Seem to be a little bit of people down on this from Mitch, and I get it. Um, the Knicks have been pretty remarkably controversy free for a number of years particularly for a franchise that has um, a reputation for off the court drama it really almost never has to do with the players Um, even some of the bad Nick teams before Thibodeau arrived it was striking that you didn't have finger pointing or anonymous you know quotes and leaks criticizing this or that guy Knicks have been a pretty solid, solid ship for a while. And I think that, coupled with the fact that this season has pretty much just been a positive across the board, I think makes some people highly protective against anything negative, like getting into the the vibe. And Mitchell Robinson saying something like this, you could take it as a negative. You could look at it and say, Mitch, come on, man. Like, we're winning. Everything's been great, especially since you got back. Um, why rock the boat? I think that's silly. Um, honestly, everybody vents about work. The Knicks to most of us are recreation. The Knicks to Mitchell Robinson are a career. Um, and anyone who's ever worked any job at a place that you imagined working at when you were young knows that reality of, oh, this is not, you do not understand on the outside what this shit is like. <clears throat> I worked at a, in high school, I worked a couple months at a McDonald's. I don't know what I thought it was going to be like, but there was a dude one day who swept up all the garbage on the floor and he threw it onto a bun and he cooked the bun on the those kind of 
oven-y things that you would use at McDonald's to cook the burgers. The, the, the buns were already warm, but he put it on the grill where the burger went. He grilled all the garbage together, and he ate it, like right in front of us. That's one story that pops out from my time at McDonald's. That is not the only story like that that pops out of my time at McDonald's. Um, I worked at a restaurant at a Six Flags, and you think as a kid, like your memories of a, a, a theme park, a water park in the summer, you know, it was this Italian restaurant. Like you think of it in your head as like a certain experience when you're a kid. <laughs> you work there, man. Six Flags. Six Flags was not a world of fun to work at. As fun as it may have been to visit, it was not a. Of the, it was not that much fun to work at. So if Mitchell Robinson wants to vent about his job, let him vent about his job. It's his career. He's got. He has to have a space where he can do it. If he does it, you know, to a reporter after the game, it's a scandal. So the guy went home. He did it on social media. It's his personal private space. Yes, it's not private because people can see it. But he has a right to vent. I'm not really concerned about it because, like, Mitchell Robinson can believe whatever he wants to about himself. I would expect him to. I expect most athletes probably overrate themselves somewhat. And I suspect that they have to. Because you're in a directly competitive industry. People are literally coming like right up to your face and trying to like take your job and your minutes away from you. You probably should overrate yourself. So if Mitch doing all the summer workout shit makes him think like pull-up threes really are a part of his bag, let him think it. That's fine. One of the great positive storylines of this season is how well Mitchell Robinson's game has continued to develop after he signed his contract extension. And there were absolutely, I wondered about it. I really, Mitchell Robinson, you know, he's a hard guy sometimes to get a read on. Because as a player, he's so, he's such a wonderful marriage of like rigidity and efflorescence. He has this extremely narrow role. Mitch does these three things, whatever. But you've watched him over the course of his career. His role hasn't changed. It really hasn't changed. He was going to be a rim-running center on offense um, who hopefully got you some offensive rebounds too, and he was going to be hopefully a, a pain presence on defense. The big question was, could he stay out of foul trouble? Yeah, he pretty brilliantly has. To the point that he's now arguably the best offensive rebounder in the league. His fouls are down on defense, but his impact is greater, not only because he can play more minutes, but because he's more measured in the approach that he takes. He doesn't block as many three-pointers as he used to. But he still blocks more than, I think, all but one or two guys in the league. And he doesn't get in foul trouble. He had, like, five agents over four or five years. That raised some questions. Like, uh, 
And you know what? He seems to have answered them all fine. He got the contract. He got a good contract. He didn't hold out for crazy money that like the market didn't say he deserved. He didn't shop around. Like He got a good offer from the Knicks. He took it. He stayed. And since he's done that, he's not resting on his laurels. He's not re- <coughs> regressing. He's not stepping outside of his role and deciding, like, well, I make $15 million a year. I got to start putting up points. He hasn't done any of that. He has just done his job better than he's ever done it before. So if on top of that, if a guy is doing his job better than he's ever done it before, and he wants to look at me and say, I can do more than this, okay, fine, I believe you. I'm not worried it's going to happen. Because I think anybody running the Knicks, anybody who plays alongside Mitch Robinson understands that like there's a compound effect that hurts the team if you were to expand Mitch's role. Right now, Mitchell Robinson is absolutely incredibly efficient at converting twos. If you were to give him a bigger role, let him start trying some post-up moves, some hook shots in the lane, maybe a baseline turnaround from eight feet, in all likelihood, those shots are going to be less efficient than what he does right now. Now, if he takes a bunch of them, enough of them, like he may get more points ultimately. If he expanded his game and he took more shots, even if he was less efficient, he would probably score more points. But nobody wants that. Mitch taking more twos to be less efficient Nobody wants that. Not only that, the moment Mitchell Robinson becomes a post-up player, he becomes a lesser offensive rebounder because he's not in or near the paint anticipating shots going up. He's the one fading away. He's the one throwing up a hook shot and immediately being behind his man and not being able to get to it. So not only is it almost impossible plausible that he would be even remotely as efficient shooting it would also diminish him as an offensive rebounder so i have no problem with mitch wanting to do more and i have no problem with the team saying we're good we're really good with what you're doing keep doing that Uh, i'm fine with that there was a little bit of a like i thought some people came out a little too hard against mitch Like, they really didn't want to hear it, and they really felt like this is, you know, violating whatever good kumbaya you think you've got going this season. I mean, if you want to go back through Nick history and examine (laughs) some of the things that just beloved Knicks have done, like, we could talk Charles Oakley who is revered for, as a player, going around, like, in a pregame practice. It it wasn't the warm-ups. It was, like, the the team, whoever the other team was, I think it was the Clippers or the Raptors. It was their, like, morning shoot-around. The Knicks were done. They went out there for theirs. And Charles Oakley literally, like, somebody owed him money from a gambling game. And he just, like, smacked the guy, like, right in the face in front of everybody. 
it's funny. Like it's a very funny story. Um, because we view violence differently in the confines of a, a quote unquote game, but it's really not funny in in the sense that like you just got assaulted like at your job um, by a coworker, different team, but same league, same industry. You just got assaulted by a coworker. Um, Oak knocked somebody out. I don't know if it was Tyrone Hill. Um, point being, that's that's where Charles Oakley is. Anthony Mason was accused of statutory rape during his time with the Knicks. Um, Latrell Sprewell assaulted his head coach. That's how he ended up becoming a Nick. Stephon Marbury proclaimed his entitled expectation that an intern was there to have sex with him. J.R. Smith killed a friend of his. Traffic accident. Ran a stop sign. Friend got killed. Mitchell Robinson has something to say on Snapchat about wanting to do more than just run. I have no problem with it. I hope you don't either. Because, <laughs> like, we are having a truly blessed season if the Mitchell Robinson Snapchat like chest beating thing is causing you any kind of strife in your life then you my friend are having actually a pretty good year so that's it for this episode um, Stacey Patton will be back pretty soon today's Friday by I would say the middle we may be able to do an episode um, before then I know Stacy will be back by the middle of next week stateside but i think we might be able to get an episode in before then so just keep your ear out for that um but thanks everybody uh for joining me in this episode um and we will be in touch with you soon remember believe nick's podcast is presented by bet online it is also presented by me matthew miranda everyone take care peace out Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.